0: When thinking about what I wanted to present and preach on this morning, I was drawn to John chapter 10. And even though we just worked through the book of John not that long ago, uh, this was a particular text I didn't get the opportunity to preach on. I think uh, Micah had that opportunity. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 10, verses 7 through 21 this morning. The words are on the screen where you may follow along or you may open up in your pew Bibles to 1,065. Again, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, starting at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down by my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very many years ago, I remembered that I happened to just somehow watch this daytime television show that while I was watching had this featured segment where a reporter would take a dart and throw it at a random spot on a map. And then he would travel to that spot and here revealing the age, he would find a phone book. And he would flip through the pages and just point at a random person. And then he would go and do an interview, a feature segment on that random person. And when I happened to watch this particular episode, uh, the person that they randomly came to was this woman named Regina. Regina. She was a 41-year-old woman who wasn't married and had no children and talked about her love of life, her uh, tattoos and piercings that she had gotten, her skydiving adventures, the road trips that she liked to go on, and the ways that she just found pleasure in life. But then, what caught my attention was the reporter asked one of his favorite questions to ask in these segments. And that was the question to Regina... What gives your life meaning? And as soon as that question was asked, the Regina who had been answering quickly these questions and talking about her life paused. And then she started to weep. And she said, and I quote, I don't really know my reason. I think that there is a reason why we are here, and I'd like to know what my reason is. And she said that again as she wept. And then watching that, and the reason why I remembered it is because my heart broke for Regina. And my heart breaks for so many people like her that walk from day to day throughout this life. And they, they live and they get involved in activities, but they can never really answer the question, why? What brings meaning to your life what keeps you motivated every day where do you find excitement and, and joy and why do you press on i ask you those really important questions in the context of this text i I will explain more fully later, but I I chose this text primarily for verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now when Jesus talks about they, he's referring to what he in this text is calling sheep. And in this text, throughout this time, Jesus goes through this familiar metaphor where he connects the people of God to sheep. And he does that because his audience at the time would have known very well what it meant to have and to keep sheep. Obviously, people owned sheep so that they would be able to provide wool for them and meat for them. But in order for those sheep to do what sheep were meant to do, Uh, They had to be looked after and, and protected and cared for. Shepherds were needed to lead them to places where they could drink and good food that they could eat. The shepherd had to be there to watch and protect them from all of the many dangers that were often prevalent and around at this time, trying to protect and preserve them. And in that context, Jesus says first, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy In the metaphor, Jesus is talking about the reality that one of the great dangers of sheep is that somebody who doesn't own them could come along and snatch them from their owner. Just take them and use them instead of the owner's desires, but for their own purposes and for their own desires. To kill for meat or to use and to destroy. Later on in the text, Jesus will also refer to the work of a hired hand. Unlike the owner of the sheep, this is someone who was just paid to look after them. And because they were just a hired hand, their love for the sheep wasn't the same. And so, as Jesus explains, when a threat comes along like a wolf to to snag one of those sheep, the hired hand thinks, go ahead and let the sheep go. I'm not going to throw myself in there and get involved. I don't want to lose my own life for the sake of somebody else's sheep. And so the hired hand would walk away. Now in this analogy, it's pretty easy to understand who Jesus is talking about when he talks about the thief and the hired hand. Uh, First of all, the thief would be the devil and his allies in the world and his hopes. When you think about purpose and meaning for your life, when you think about things that bring you joy and excitement and keep you motivated, we have to recognize that the devil has plans. He has hopes for your life. He has things that he would love to see you give your life to. And so many people have bought into those ideas. I have a whole list I could go through, but think about what many people often live for. Because of the mundaneness of our our daily work life and the burden that that often can be, people live for the weekends. And the substances that they can imbibe in order to bring some false sense of relief, some bit of a, a joy that's euphoric, at least temporary. And so what do they live for? They endure the weekday so that they can live for the weekend. People live for the accumulation of funds. Thinking that as long as their bank account is flush, well, then life will be okay. Those funds can provide security. Those funds can, can purchase for me the activities and the things that will bring me joy. Those funds will allow me to receive the respect of others. So people live in order to build their bank accounts. And again, as I say, the list could go on and on. People live for the admiration and praise of others. People live so that they can exert power over people. And they feel alive when people say that they appreciate who they are or when they're able to command others. Again, the list could go on and on. Things that are desirous for us but really aren't from the Lord but from the thief. And then when we get to the hired hand, in an analogy, uh, that would be the people like the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, people whose job was supposed to be to care for God's people, to nurture them in the faith and instruct and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. But instead, at this time, the way that those people were leading the people of God was in self-righteousness. They had sold them the idea that as long as they were perfect enough in obeying God's commands, well, then they would be good and worthy sheep. But that, as Jesus says, was a burden that was far too heavy to carry because you will inevitably fall short of the standard of perfection. You will make mistakes, you will sin, and therefore you will not be able to save yourself. And almost anyone can recognize, as it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And when people live for those types of things, their own self-righteousness, substances, glory, praise, that doesn't add to life, but it often takes away from it. I've said it before, and I think it's worthy of repeating. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that no true life can be found in giving yourself to the addiction of substances. An atheist knows that that is not the path toward true life. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that money cannot buy you happiness. An atheist would be able to see how many people have won the lottery and filled their bank accounts with money beyond their imagination, and then afterward, their life was miserable to the point where their suicide rates are higher than the average population. Why? Because true life cannot be found there. So much of what people would say gives them purpose and meaning falls far short of exactly that. But into that need, Jesus in this text tells us a little bit about himself. And first of all, he says that he is the door. Meaning that he is the only way to the Father. He is the only way through which any and all must enter if they are going to be a part of the flock of the Lord. You can't get in in your own power and strength, your own perfections. You can't find another way into the fold. The only way to be a true sheep of God is by putting your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then in him, you find sanctuary, protection, and provision. And then in comparison to the hired hand and the thief that are either actively seeking to destroy or doing so through neglect, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And he is a good shepherd because he genuinely cares for his people, the sheep. He knows them by name. He knows what they truly need and he guides them in that path. And he calls them his own. And not only would he do everything to protect and care for his sheep, but he would go so far as laying down his own life for his sheep. And then speaking of that to a group of people who had already begun to think about and plot how they could get rid of Jesus because of the things that he was teaching. He says in verse 18, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. And this verse becomes another reason why I chose this text for this morning. Uh, First of all, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the sacrifice he was making for his sheep was exactly that. A willful sacrifice. That he was not going to be under the whims and the control of other people, but the gospels, all four of them, make it abundantly clear that as Jesus was arrested, as he was put under prosecution and then ultimately crucified on a cross, that he was allowing himself to be subjected to this punishment. That at any moment he wanted, he could have called an end to it, called down all of the angels of heaven and put a stop to it. And yet Jesus willfully offered himself. He laid down his life of his own accord in order to save and rescue us lost sheep. And then he says that not only does he willfully lay down his life, but he has the power and the authority to take it up again. That even when his life is taken, he will reclaim it. Now in response to all of this, many of the Jews thought that Jesus was absolutely nuts. They assumed that he was demon possessed. And a lot of the things that Jesus is saying here, especially about laying down his life and taking it up again, do sound pretty crazy. But there's another group that had a harder time dismissing his statements. And the reason why they couldn't just write Jesus off as a madman was because they had seen the things that he had done. And if he had, just as he had done previously to this text, given sight to a blind man, well, how do you just dismiss and ignore his words? Well, as much as that is already a struggle that existed for them, That struggle only becomes that much greater after Easter. Because while what Jesus was saying about laying down his life and taking up it again might sound crazy by itself, it sounds a lot less crazy when it actually happens. And that is the celebration and what Easter is all about. Not only did Jesus willfully lay down his life so that he could bear the wrath of God on himself, but the actual empty tomb on Easter Sunday proved the power of Jesus. Because there were other stories of people who were resurrected from the dead by other people, but there is no other story of anyone who came back to life of their own power and strength. And the resurrection is a power that cannot be ignored. That is a miracle that cannot just be dismissed. And the empty tomb proved not only the power of Jesus, but it proved that he was exactly who he said he was the very Son of God, the promised Messiah the good shepherd, the one that came, that you might have life and have it abundantly. Throughout this season of Lent as a church, we've been focusing on our response to the sacrifice of Jesus, looking at the text from Roman 12 that challenges us to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And especially when you use that word sacrifice, it can sound like you are being asked to give up a whole lot in order to have a relationship with the Lord. But the reality is that any and all of those things that you could be asked to give up are just part of those things that do not add to your life but ultimately only take away and destroy and minimize your very life. That They just remove the quality of your life. They are just facades and empty pleasures that don't last and cannot provide true meaning for your existence. So what does bring meaning? Where can you find true purpose? And that's where we go all the way back to the point of the series. If you truly want to respond to the sacrifice of Christ, that means a few things. First, Meaning is found in recognizing and identifying and denying the lies that are often presented by the devil and our culture that try to distract you from your true purpose. It's saying that we know that there is no hope, no purpose found there. Therefore, I will walk away from those things. Second, meaning is found in response to see Jesus as the door that he is. To recognize and go to him as the only way to the Father to put your trust in his word and in his work that, that, of the one who gave himself for you. That meaning can be found in believing the promise that he came to give you life and life abundantly and then to live. To live meaning to recognize that God is the one who gave this earth to us, who created all of the beauty that we see and every day to turn our appreciation for his design and his beauty into praise, offering our hearts in worship. It means to marvel at uh, the things that God has done and how he has given us different gifts. And instead of using those gifts and talents to bring glory to ourselves, we direct them to the praise and honor and service of our God, offering our hands in unity. We learn the joys of obedience Understanding that the purpose of God's commands were not there to restrict or hinder life, but to protect us from pursuing things that ultimately are meaningless. And to invite us into the right relationship with him through obedience, which is what it means to offer our minds in study and feet in worship. If you're looking for meaning for your life, And if you've never found a reason why you are waking up every day and living and what you are giving your life to, this is the invitation this morning. To, in the empty tomb, recognize that Jesus rose for you and that because of his resurrection, all of the things that he said about who he was and why he came must be true. And therefore find that true joy in surrendering yourself to him, in living for his glory and honor, in worshiping him in all of you do. That alone will give you purpose, direction, and meaning for this life. If you want to know more about what that is all about, come and talk to me or, or one of the elders, or certainly join us on this journey every Sunday where we will continue to open up his word and appreciate and understand the God that he is and what Jesus did for us and that great promise that though the thief might come to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. And therefore, we praise him by living for him let's have a word of prayer Lord God and Heavenly Father your words of encouragement are a great source of joy in the scriptures and yet we not only hear those words but we recognize that what stands behind them are all of the signs that you did to prove who you were and that your words are trustworthy and true Father, forgive us for giving ourselves to so many things that often are purposeless, meaningless, and empty. And I pray that we would turn away from those and call us once again to a right relationship with you where we can serve you as you call us. And as we do so, as we find your word and submit ourselves to it, may we find that abundant life that you have promised, not only in this world and in this age, but in the world to come. Lord, thank you for that great hope, that great comfort of knowing that because we belong to you, that you love us and that we have a reason to live. May we surrender to you as the risen Savior. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.